Alright, well today we get to start a new book of the Bible. Usually we watch a um, Bible Project video when we begin a new book of the Bible. If you haven't seen the first Samuel Bible Pro- Project video, I want to encourage you to check that out. The Bible Project does an excellent job in giving an overview of each book of the Bible. It's about, uh, First Samuel's about seven or eight minutes long. Check that out. We send that out in our email with a link to that so that you can see that and just kind of get a, get a good overview of what the book of First Samuel is about. Last year we went through the book of First Corinthians and Second Corinthians. We, we spent a lot of time, as we do here, in the, the epistles of the Apostle Paul. I love Pauline letters. Right, we're, we just we love the New Testament here, but we also love the Old Testament, and we don't want to neglect the Old Testament because here at City Church we believe that all Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God, right? And it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuke. It's profitable for the people of God so that we might be equipped to do every good work. We believe that the word of God is authoritative and errant. That the the word of God has the authority over our lives and what God says we are to submit our lives to and adjust our lives to his revealed will for us in Scripture. And so we've been in uh, last year in First First Thess, First Corinthians and Second Corinthians. This this year we get to camp out in the book of First Samuel. Originally, this book First Samuel was not First and Second Samuel. Originally, it was just one one big book, right? But it was a long book, and so it was split up at some point. And we have the chapter and chapters and verses were added in at some point. Aren't you, aren't you thankful that you have those in your Bible so you can find, uh, navigate your way through the scripture? Yep. How many of y'all, I'm interested, how many of y'all have read through the book of First Samuel? How many of you have read through it? Okay. All right. So we got a few people that get to go through the book of First Samuel for the first time uh, during this time. And, and um, we may not cover every single verse. In, in this book, but we're going to hit the highlights and we're going to get caught up in the story of First Samuel. And so I've titled this message today, Providence, Pain, and Prayer. Providence, Pain, and Prayer. We're going to look at chapter one about a, about a, a woman named Hannah. We have a Hannah here. Um, but before we do, let me just give a, a brief overview of, of 1 Samuel. Who wrote 1 Samuel? We don't know exactly who wrote 1 Samuel, but it's in the Bible, and it's God's Word, okay? Who was it written to? We know that it was written to the children of Israel, to the, to the Israelites, to the Hebrews. When was it written? It's written sometime after the death of King Solomon and around... Uh, 930 BC. What genre of literature is First Samuel? It is historical genre of liter- literature. It is historical preaching. Historical preaching. It, it not only it describes what God was doing in Israel and what Israel was doing uh, in that period of time, but also it has theological statements salted in 
the narrative as well, uh, much like the book of Acts does. Uh, one theolo- or, uh, first Corinthians, uh, first Chronicles, excuse me. First Chronicles says, now the acts of King David from first to last are written in Chronicles in the Chronicles of Samuel, the seer. Uh, and so first Chronicles describes the works of Samuel, uh, first and second Samuel as Chronicles. Okay. It's an account. Um, Tim Chester says this. He says, what he records is never less than historical, but as we read it, we are doing much more than reading history. We are shown who God is and how he rules his people. And we are being shown Jesus, his Christ. Okay? So why should we study this book, this Old Testament book? Okay? First of all, Romans tells us, Romans 5 says that whatever things were written in the former days were written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. We should study the, these Old Testament books, like First Samuel, because it's there for our instruction. It's there for our encouragement. It's there for our hope. And it's there for our warning. Okay? There are good and bad examples to learn from in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament narrative. First uh, Corinthians 10 says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did, speaking about the Israelites, or be idolaters or indulge in sexual immorality. Why else should we study the book of First Samuel? To learn about God, his ways and his works. As you read through the book of First Samuel, you will see a strong emphasis on the sovereignty of God or the providence of God in this book. You will see God's judgments. You will see God's vision and values for leadership. You will see that, that God hears prayers. He's the same God of the Old Testament as he is of the New Testament. He heard prayers back in those days and he hears the prayers of his people now. God sees those who are in obscurity then and he sees them now, if you feel looked over or unseen, God cares about his people. You see his care and his leadership. He leads his people. So these are just some of the, the, the things that we learn from the book of 1 Samuel. We also learn God's, just more of God's big redemptive story. At the beginning of this year, we started off in Genesis and we just were honing in on God's big redemptive story from Abraham to Joseph. To Moses, and now we're we're jumping over to First Samuel, where we learn about Samuel the prophet, Saul the king, Israel's very first earthly king. We learn about David, Israel's greatest king, aside from Jesus Himself. Eugene Peterson, Eugene Peterson says this about the, the aspect of story in Scripture. Story doesn't just tell us something and leave it there. It invites our participation. A good storyteller gathers us into the story. We feel the emotions. We get caught up in the drama and identify with the characters and see into nooks and crannies of life that we have overlooked. And we realize that there is more to this business of being human than we ever had yet explored. If the storyteller is good, doors and windows open. 
the Hebrews were good storytellers, good in both the artistic and moral senses. Don't we love stories? God has wired us for stories. Okay, just think about how much of how many of us like to watch good movies. What are movies? They're stories. Or, or many TV shows, they're, they're stories. Like we're, we, we love a good story. We get caught in and drawn into it. And sometimes we can binge watching series on Netflix or Prime. Because we're wired for story. And God is inviting us into His story. Now some of us may need to turn that TV off so that we can get more into His story. Or at least change the content of what we're streaming through that flat screen in our living room so we can get more into his story and not be distracted by all these screens that we have before us. But we're wired for stories. That's why people will scroll on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok scrolling for hours upon hours for just stories. Little stories, right? Next stories. And give them quick. We like... And, and we, we tend to like more, uh, many in the culture tend to like more quick, pithy, give me stories. I want visuals, engage my mind. And so that's why we're getting into this book. We want to be caught up in the story of God, the redemptive story of God. And also we learn about leadership in the book of First Samuel. We learn about good leadership. We learn about bad leadership. Okay. We all enjoy it when there are godly leaders leading around us and we're, lead, we're, we're um, under the, the care of good godly leadership. And it is painful and displeasing when there are ungodly leaders who are governing and using their authority to harm others. And so we learn about leadership through the life of Samuel, through the life of Saul, through the life of Eli, the priest, and his sons, through David, and ultimately we see God's leadership in this book. Craig Bryan Larson says that no leader is above God. If you can't follow God, you can't lead God's people. The man God uses is a man after God's own heart, and whose heart God has deeply worked. So some of the key themes that we see in the book of Samuel are the kingship of God. The kingship of God. His providential guidance and his sovereign will and power. Now the backdrop, when we, we, when we read 1 Samuel, the backdrop that we have here is the, the judges. If you've read, anybody read through the book of Judges? Isn't it just an inspiring book just with some wonderful Amazing story. It, it is, it's God's inspired book, right? But there are some really raw, dark stories about the sinfulness of human nature that just make you maybe cringe when you hear about somebody concubine being cut up and sent out, you know, all over the land. Like just terrible things that we hear about in the news today. And so in those days, in the days of the judges... There was no king in Israel. There was no king in Israel. And it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This phrase is repeated in the book of Judges. There was no king in Israel. It, it presents it as, there's a problem here. There's a lack of godly leadership 
and, and people following godly leadership. And so they're left to just follow the dictates of their own heart and just do whatever's right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar? We can relate to that in our day. Can't we? There's this tendency to kind of create our own moralism, our own standards, our own way. Follow your heart. The world will tell us. If it makes you feel good, do it. You hear things like that. And yet God provides us with his leadership. And he provides leadership for his church. Pastors and teachers. He's provided apostles and prophets. And the book of 1 Samuel is an answer to this problem that there was no king in Israel. There was a lack of godly leadership. And God shows up and he, and he hears the prayer of this godly woman named Hannah. And he raises up a Samuel. In, the, in a day when it was rare for, for people to hear from God. God raised up a prophet. Somebody who would hear from God, understand his will, and declare it to the people. Okay? What we see in the book of Judges is we see this cycle. The, the Israelites would get in trouble. They would turn their back on God. They would reject his reign in their lives. And they would do their own thing. And, and life would just fall apart. And then they would cry out. And God would be merciful and raise up a judge. And somebody like a, like a Samson. Uh, or Deborah to help out and provide some deliverance. And all this should remind us as Christians that we have a king. We have a leader who has come. First Samuel points us ahead. Not just to David who would, who would become a godly king in Israel and, and pursue the will of God in Israel during that time. But, but David points us to an even greater king, the everlasting King Jesus, whose kingdom we are now a part of. Amen? Amen. So, with that said, let's jump into the text together. First Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathin, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerome, son of Eliu, son of Tahu, son of Zephu, an Ephrodite, whose two wives, the name of one was Hannah and the other was Paneah. Panea had, no, had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Panea, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. 
And so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and could not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. And now the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking her heart. Um, Hannah was speaking in her heart and only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. But I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all, for, for all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And he said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked from him, from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice to pay his vow, but Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the, the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And, and when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with her three-year-old bull, and an ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young and they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And he said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord for the child I prayed. And the Lord granted my petition and that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 So here is our big idea this morning. Thank you for your patience and reading through that long narrative. We are in church. I think it's fitting for us to read scripture in church. But thank you for patiently listening. Here's a big idea. God works through the pain and the prayers of his people to bring about his purposes. 
Very simple. As you read the story of Hannah, you see God working through the pain and the prayers of his people to bring about his purposes. Okay? Now, first of all, let's look at the pain of Hannah. Here was a godly woman of prayer who was letting her requests be made known to God. She wanted to have a son, and she couldn't. If her husband had another wife, that doesn't seem like a very good thing. The Old Testament permitted it, but it does not endorse it. It does not commend it. And does not commend it, right? Amen. Jesus, Jesus had his, his words about this. If you want to read that on marriage in Matthew chapter 19. It's God's design for one man, one woman. Amen. So of course it created a problem. There's some tension in the house. Can you imagine? There's some tension in the house at Hannah's house. Alright? And this, this, I don't know about you, but as I read this story, I can't help but to hyperlink back to some other Old Testament stories. Some other godly women who wanted to have children and they couldn't have children. Sarah, she was barren. God gives her husband a promise that he's going to have lots of descendants. Sounds crazy. They're old. All right? But she considered God faithful. She believed God. They waited. And they saw the promise of God come to pass. We got Rebecca. We got Rachel. We got Samson's mom. Whatever her name is. <laughs> Samson's mother. As Kevin says, Samson's mother. There's a New York accent. And so, so we see this is a trend here. This is something we've seen in the scripture at once. There, is there anything too hard from the Lord, it says in Genesis? In a situation like this, God can do the miraculous. God can do some really big things. Amen. And in that day of age, it, 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 was not, it was not looked favorably upon to not be able to have children. Women... Felt the pain of that. and The pain of that is felt today as well. It is painful. God says be fruitful and multiply. And you want to have children. But you can't. Or you can't have more children. And so I know even some here know the pain of, of this right here. This, this connects with some ladies here. Some couples here. Okay? This, this, this. This is for our comfort, for our encouragement, for our hope to be inspired by the God, the same God who worked here in this circumstance, who is alive and well today and is working today. So she had some pain. Hannah had some pain. And it says this, it says the Lord closed her womb. Okay. She had to wrestle with that. That's a theological statement made right here in this historical book. The Lord closed her womb. Her husband's other wife gave her a hard time about it. Penan would seem to be having lots, lots of kids, but Hannah couldn't have any. By the way, Hannah's name means favor or grace, right? So she, she bore the name, she was given this name, by her parents, 
And the, and the Hebrews, they, th- they thought highly of naming their children, right? And there's purpose and calling and, and there's a connection between the name of a person and who they are and what they're called to be often, right? And, and it didn't seem like, she probably didn't feel like she had the favor of God because the Lord closed her womb. So it seems very ironic. But that was her name, favored. Grace, favored. But where's the favor of God in having children? And then to, to add to the, the pain of that, her husband's wife, who had lots of kids, is, is, is provoking her, taunting her. Proverbs 13, 12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a, is a tree of life. Hannah, Hannah had deep pain over this issue. So much that she, she didn't want to eat. And she knew where to go. She went to the Lord with it in prayer. The, to add to the pain, when she showed up at church, the spiritual leader, the pastor or the priest there, misjudged her as a drunk woman who was up to no good. She's pouring her heart out to God. Talking to God about this pain she's experiencing, asking that God would be gracious to her and grant her a son. This spiritual leader looks upon her with presumption and judges her as a drunken woman. And so the pain is just deepened. She's working through it. What do you do, saints, when you feel deeply distressed and vexed in your soul? When there's been hurt by others who've misjudged you. There's hurt because of disappointment or dreams that have seemed to die. What do you do with the pain? Hannah is an example for us. She went to the Lord with that pain. Look at what it says about this, about Eli. And by the way, Eli had had a number of issues, including his sons that were just out of line and, and wicked. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I love this response. Humble, dependent. She's just, I, and, and she's, she's more focused on God seeing her. And by the way, God sees each of us. If you feel overlooked by people or misjudged by people, what we learn in 1 Samuel is that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Amen. When it comes time later on in 1 Samuel to choose a king, Samuel's looking at Jesse's sons and he's going through the list of sons and he's, you know, looking like, who's it going to be, God? Who's going to be this next king? There's one more out there who externally does not look like the one who should be anointed as king. But God tells Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And we learn that in this book. God's looking at the hearts of people. He cares about people. And if you're faithfully serving Him, 
following him, obeying him, and you feel overlooked, just know that he sees you. And in due season, he will, you will, you, he will reward you, exalt you. Doesn't mean that everything's going to go good and, and everything's going to go um, hunky-dory. It may be a painful, difficult road. But ultimately, God will reward the faithful. And he hears the cries of his people, and he's enough. I think it's interesting that Elkanah, um, Hannah's husband, says, you know, aren't I better for you than, you know, a bunch of kids, ten kids? <laughs> By the way, husbands, take note, that's probably not the best thing to say when your wife's pouring out her heart to you. <laughs> hey, aren't I enough? Come on. I, I'm interested to hear what her response was when he did that. I, I, that's not in the text, but I, I can just imagine how that would go for me if my wife is pouring out her heart. And I'm like, hey, aren't I enough for you, Kendall? Come on. Why, why are you sad? Come on. You got me as your husband. <laughs> All right. And so she, she felt deep distress and pain. And that's emphasized. Okay. Now, now one, one, and I'm jumping into application here, but one thing we definitely want to want to learn from this is we need to put away our presumptuous judgments. Eli was very quick to, to misjudge her presumptuously and assume that she was a drunken woman, a worthless woman. She was a godly woman that God saw, that God heard. And, and by the way, this language describing Hannah, it, it, it seems to echo that of the Genesis. When, when the Israelites were in distress, God saw, God heard, God knew, God responded. God saw this precious life, this godly woman, and God heard her prayers. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, there are no ordinary people. You never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal but their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom, whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our mammariat must be that of that kind and it is, in fact, the merriest kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. I mean, I just think about how many people have been hurt by religious folks within the church just being presumptuous and misjudging others wrongly. <clears throat> We need more of the heart of God. We need the, the eyes of God to see people more like he sees people and treat them more like he treats them. Amen? Amen. And so her pain was deep. Dale Ralph Davis says, let us not play down the heavy grief of Hannah's or our own bleak circumstances, but let us moderate our despair by realizing it Maybe, but another prelude to a mighty work of God. Amen. And so I find it unhelpful when I'm in pain and I'm hurting. I, found it, I find it very unhelpful to just put a smile on, one of those fake smiles. I'm okay. 
when I'm not okay. I don't know about you, but that just, just it feels fake. And I know that the path to healing, the path of rolling my burden off to the Lord requires me to be real with God and real with people. That's why I think in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it says that sorrow is better than laughter. For by a sad countenance, the heart is made better. By a sad countenance, the heart is made better. All right? And so when we can be honest here, what's going on here, when we're sad and we let that be expressed to God in honest prayer and to the community of faith around us, it's, it's our path to healing. It's our path to finding joy. It's our path to, to laying down the burdens that we're carrying, the pain that we're carrying. It's okay to not be okay. And we don't want to pretend that everything's okay when it's not. We can say, I'm hurting right now. I'm struggling right now. I'm discouraged right now. And we need to provide a safe culture here at City Church, a culture of grace where we can open up our hearts with one another and pray for one another and share the burdens of our hearts with one another. When we're anxious, when we're angry, discouraged, when we're in pain, Hannah models that for us. She's not trying to act like everything's okay when it's not. She she had deep pain. We also see within this text the providence of God was evident. We see the pain of Anna, uh, Hannah, but we also see that the providence of God was evident. The Lord had closed her womb. Okay? That was a part of the pain that she was wrestling with. We must accept both the sweet and bitter providences in this life and not charge God as some cruel, unkind, unbenevolent Master, He is good and He is sovereign and His plans are good and He is working them out in the lives of His people. But He's doing it through our pain. And He's doing it through our prayers. We live in a sin-sick world, a, gen- a post-Genesis 3 world in which there is much pain and much brokenness that we experience. And God has done something about it. He has stepped in. He has acted. He has intervened. He has redeemed his people. He has delivered his people. He has showed up, shown up a number of times. John Piper in his book on Providence says that when Hannah offered up her prayer of worship and thanks, she ascribed absolute authority and power to God to give life and to take it. Hannah says this in chapter Two, the Lord kills and the Lord brings life. That's a pretty strong statement. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading my Bible and I come across verses like that, I don't just keep on going through my Bible reading plan, just like on to the next thing. It's like, I need to stop here. What? The Lord kills and the Lord brings life? I need to like say, I need to slow down and, and reflect on that for a moment. What, what's he saying? <laughs> All right. Well, one one thing that we can affirm that he's saying here is that God is sovereign over all life. God is the giver and the sustainer of all life. Does he does he give life to us and sustain our life? Yes. Now, in what sense is, does God kill? We we talked about it last week and the week before. Pharaoh, the judgments of God that are displayed in history. Those who rebel against his will, 
Now, ultimately, that's, that's, that's humanity's response. That's humanity's responsibility for rejecting God as king and going their own way. But Hannah makes this, this profound statement. And it challenges us. Challenges our modern ears. And it points to the providence of God. And there's a number of dots that, that I'm not going to connect for us today and, and a number of areas to wrestle with as we ponder the providence of God. But just know that the, the scripture is very clear that God is in charge and God is good. He's not a cruel, evil tyrant. And so when you, don't, you, when you can't understand everything that's going on in your life and it just hurts, just know that he's good and he's in charge. He hasn't changed. He doesn't change. John Piper says that the, the providence of God is his purposeful sovereignty by which he will be completely successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. God's providence carries his plans into action and guides all things towards his ultimate goal and leads to the final consummation. He goes on uh, in his book and he says that biblical authors do not do not bring up this wonderful idea merely to make a theological point, but they do so to humble human pride, intensify human worship, shatter human hopelessness, and put a ballast put ballast in a battered boat of human faith, steel in the spine of human courage, love in the human heart that sees no possible way forward. And so this is why it's important for us to get this. Because we need that conviction that God is going to work on our behalf. He's going to work good. And he's in charge. And so we see the providence of God in this story. As you're reading through the book of Samuel, this theme is going to come up over and over. There's going to be theological statements that highlight God is sovereign. God is in charge. And so as you see those, take note of those. Mark them, circle them. If you have questions... About it, dig into it. Though God is sovereign, and though we see his providence working, and he's bringing everything to work together for his purposes and for our good, that does not, that does not lead us, it should not lead us to passivity or prayerlessness. Okay? All right? Fate says, whatever will be, will be. We're not fatalists. Whatever will be, will be. Providence says, whatever God says, will be. If God says it, it's going to be. And we pray for what God says, His will to be done, His kingdom to come. He uses and He works through the prayers of His people, and the pain of His people, and the weaknesses of His people. And so we see Hannah bringing her prayer to God. Bringing her pain to God, expressing to God. This is her prayer. Oh, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now, that's a quick commitment right there. Okay, so with Abraham and, and Sarah, God, God asked afterwards, after he finally gave them that promised child, Isaac, God asked them to surrender their child. And, and Abraham did. He was willing. Right? 
to give them up. Hannah does that on the front end. She prays for a son, but she's already saying, God, I'm surrendering this precious life to you, God. What a beautiful example of worship and gratitude, surrender, commitment. And she poured her heart out to God. David also teaches us, she does what the Psalms teach us to do. He te- David teaches us to pour out our complaints to God. Psalm 142, verse 1 and 2. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him, and I tell my trouble before him. Okay? We can, we can complain to God in a healthy way here. Right? We can pour out our complaint to God. Now, if we have a complaint in our heart to God, God knows it's there. We shouldn't act like it's not there. If we're disgruntled and, and we're disappointed and we're struggling and we're offended with God or struggling with His will for our lives, we can talk to Him about it. Roll it off to Him. It's through prayer that we communicate our praise, hopes, fears, pains, desires, requests, confession of sin, petition, And thanks to God. And through it we encounter God and we find help that we need in this life. And so Hannah brought her prayer to God. She brought her pain to God. And God providentially worked in her life. Answered that prayer. And then her response to God afterwards in chapter 2 is one of praise. She exalts God. And and what the prayer does in chapter 2 is it gives us a snapshot. It gives us a picture of this great reversal of God bringing low the proud and raising up the humble, providing for the poor, right? Um, and, and, And it talks about this great reversal, and it sounds very similar to what Mary prays and Elizabeth prays and 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 Luke. We see just a, a, this beautiful prayer to God of, of, of God's kingdom coming. And it points us ultimately to the kingdom of God when Jesus comes as king. And there's this great reversal. He talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor. For they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Right? Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so we see, with the coming of Jesus, we see this great reversal. And this prayer points to it. And we don't have uh, time to get get into it this this morning. We'll pray it at the end here um, as a response. Lord willing, we'll cover it next week. As I was preparing this, I was reminded of a song that I used to lead over at City Church International when I was a worship leader. And um, it's called All Is Well by Robin Mark. And and this song is taken from this prayer that Hannah has in chapter 2. And it says, He lowers us to raise us so we can sing His praises. Whatever is His way, all is well. He makes us rich and poor that we might trust Him more. Whatever is His way, all is well. All my changes come from Him. He who never changes. I'm held firm in the grasp of the rock of all the ages. 
All is well with my soul. He is God in control. I know not all his plans, but I know I'm in his hands. Verse 2 says, he clothes us now, then strips us. Yet with his word equips us. Whatever is his way, all is well. Though our seasons change, we still exalt his name. Whatever is his way, all is well. This was the heart of a true worshiper right here. Hannah in her prayer in chapter 2. This is what we see in the life of Job when Job had very much. God had blessed him with a lot. And it was all taken away in one day. It was taken away. And what was his response? He fell, he tore, he grieved, he tore his shirt, fell to the ground and worshiped God. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. That statement's not corrected in the scripture. Job makes it, and I think it's true. He gives, okay, makes us poor and rich. We have different seasons of life that he brings us through, but he's in charge of our lives. He has the right. He has the right. Everything that we have in life is a gift from his hand. And yet hurts when, when things are taken away from us. But may we respond in this way that, that God, you're worthy of worship. Indicating that he is first. Indicating that he's number one. That, that if we have him, we have what we need in life. And so let me close with a couple points of application. And we'll pray Hannah's prayer, response prayer in chapter 2 together. Know that... Know that that, that your life ultimately, that God is, know that God is ultimately in charge of your life. So joyfully seek his will and surrender to his plan, trusting that he will work out all things together for your good. Pardon the typo there. Pour out your hearts to God in prayer, expressing your grief, your pain, your joy, and your praise to him and wait for him to answer. Prayer is pouring our, our hearts out to God. Psalm 62 says, pour out your hearts to God and trust him at all times. Avoid misjudging others in presumption and rather believe the best and seek to see, other, seek to see others more as God does, as one who sees the heart. Let us believe the best. Amen. So if you all would stand with me, we're going to pray this prayer from 1 Samuel chapter 2. God granted Hannah's prayer for a child, a son, and she dedicated him to the Lord. All right. And this is what we do with our children. Uh, we don't necessarily give them to the church to have the church raise them. <laughs> but we are to have this posture ultimately that these children are a gift from God. And, and we surrender them to the Lord's will. And we pray for God's will to be done. And so we follow this example of this godly woman. And let me just say this too. We have some amazing 
godly women here at City Church who pray like Hannah prayed, who pour out their hearts to God like she poured out her heart to God. And I just want to say I'm grateful to be walking with other brothers and sisters who do this, who bring their pain and their struggle to God, who bring their weakness to God, who bring their life before God and allow Him to have His way. So let's pray this together. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. But the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven. But she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to shield and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you that you rule and reign. Thank you that you have provided a king for us. And we say, reign in us, God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we look to you for your kingdom to come. We look to you to deliver us from the evil one who afflicts, who points his finger ridicules and mocks and accuses your children. God, would you silence your enemies? Would you silence those voices over the lives of your people here? And may we hear your voice and follow your will and your way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift up the light of his countenance upon you. And may he give you his peace. Have a great Sunday.